Sign up to Rough Trade Club, the ultimate subscription for vinyl enthusiasts. Get money off online and in store and access to sold out events and discounts at Rough Trade East, Rough Trade West, Bristol, Liverpool and all over the UK. Join Rough Trade Club plus new music to receive an exclusive variant of their album of the month every month. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and when you use the voucher code club101pod, you'll get a third off your first three months. That's at roughtrade.com slash club and you can get a third off your first three months by using the voucher code club101pod. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify. Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When I'm at work I call my bluff and I just want to get out. I'm tight, am I right? I just might prepare for the drought. Let me go on. Every day I'm out on the slog. Let me go on. 101 months I've jobs. All right, you're listening to 101 Part Time Jobs. Where bands and artists tell me the stories of how they've built their own worlds, including the different side jobs they've hustled to get there. On today's episode is Cloth, 
The twin siblings, Rachel and Paul Swinton, who have just put out a lovely sounding record, Secret Measure. It's out now on Rock Action, Mogwai's record label, and it's brilliant. It's been putting me into that space while doing different stuff around the house. I put on stuff like Cocteau Twins and the XX when I'm in that zone, and Cloth give off that same feeling. Cheers for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, and thanks to 2000 Trees who support the podcast. Trees is a great independent rock festival in Cheltenham, just a few hours away from London on the train. And this year, the lineup is as stellar as ever. Headlined by Softplay, formerly known as Slaves, Bullet for My Valentine, and Frank Carter on the Rattlesnakes. The lineup has got loads of different types of stuff from the Bronx, Narrowhead, Bad Nerves, Martha, Joyce Manor, Prima Queen. Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly, Brutus, 100 Reasons, loads of great bands. Sprint, I like Sprint a lot. 2000 Trees this July. If you want to go, but you haven't got your ticket yet, you can get 20 quid off, not some just like pithy percentage off, a full 20 quid off your ticket to 2000 Trees this July at 2000trees.co.uk. 20 quid off with the voucher code 101pod. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder. This is Cloth. Tea and biscuits are so comforting. No, it just brightens up your day. Yeah, I think like... This job was maybe the first one where I entered that culture of people bringing in biscuits and donuts and things like that. And That's I always it. feel a little bit shady because I never really contribute myself. <laughs> and I'm always gorging on it. So. You yeah. got to stay quiet. You got because if, if, you, yeah. if you're too loud, people will notice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So what is it? You work together? Yes. Yeah, mm. we work in an admin office at a university. So it's mm. quite good. So, like we get to go to work together and head back it means that our kind of schedules sync up quite well for doing music outside of it you know like rachel's yeah. not kind of like working late or vice versa it means that like we're kind of off together we can yeah yeah take time off together type thing so great and your twin siblings yeah, yeah. work together in a band together that's yeah. that's proper friendship <laughs> yeah it works i think it would probably be like pretty nightmarish if we didn't get on so well but yeah we, we get on pretty well, thankfully, and seem to be able to like kind of write music together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he started writing music together in 2018. Had you sort of written together before that, you know, as kids growing up? Yeah, yeah. We probably like started when we were like 10 or 11. I got like a four track thing for a, it was, like, a present for Christmas. And nice. then... Um, That's a good present. Such a good present. present. Like, it's so fun, like just creating these kind of daft little demos that are a bit wild and <laughs> all over the place. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, like we just picked up the guitars like around about the age of 10 and have been kind of recording things ever since then. Yeah. You you were first. You did it when you were 10 or nine rather. You were nine. And then I was like, I think I was pretty envious. And I was like, what is this cool thing that Rachel gets to do? So I was like, I'm like a guitar, please, mum and dad. <laughs> and those, those four tracks... They're pretty difficult to work out, right? Because they've yeah, yeah. got their own little personalities in a way. 
Yeah, this one, I remember thinking, oh my God, what is this? And then it, twi- it twigged after a little bit and I realised I could like record four th- four instruments or four tracks and then I could like bounce it down onto one. Mm. The quality will get increasingly worse and worse and <laughs> yeah. you'll get this horrible hiss yeah. after like your fourth bounce, but you could, it's infinite. You can just keep adding. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a mind-blowing thing when we realised we yeah. could do that. It was like oh my God, multi-track recording, this is it. (laughs) I feel like that's like a good metaphor for working out your own shit, basically working out your own, you know, creating something from nothing. There's total magic in that. And I think that is why I like doing these interviews. That's the thing I'm most interested in hearing about is people having ideas and following that. People having a thought and putting their action into that. I think that is actually probably one of the most powerful things you can do today. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think like, the struggle is sometimes having the kind of maintaining the kind of like drive to realize what those kind of creative ideas are. And maybe like if you're doing like lots of different things and you have lots of plates spinning, like kind of trying to maintain a sort of degree of kind of quality across them as well and not letting things slip or mm. or getting complacent or lazy with it, which is well easy, I think. Totally. And it's not even about this feeling that, you know, you deserve to make music all day every day Uh but it's that element of like well actually you should be able to express yourself you shouldn't feel curmudgeon or downtrodden by basically the man right I mean that's that's really it in a a word and so you know being able to work it out how old were you did you sort of get into the sort of traditional you know work after school thing and sort of find find that out for yourselves that really you know you needed to prioritize the art yeah I think like um we both kind of came to sort of part-time work quite early well we both had jobs almost from when we were doing the music at 10 or something we were doing paper rounds at least like yeah I think um, 14 I don't think mum and dad will let us out on the streets well they get two for one as well with you guys (laughs) Well, I did. I did mine for six years, and like, <laughs> wow, I was definitely not doing it up to the age of twenty. <laughs> I mean, I hope I wasn't. <laughs> I need to maybe like look back and establish some things here, but that was sustaining the kind of CD buying habit, mm-hmm. like for a long time, and then yeah, more kind of sort of hands-on roles like cafe work and and stuff like that. And I don't think it was maybe until we graduated from university and. It was like, this. oh, the studying's over, like the kind of mm. the time where you get to sort of, where you maybe have a little bit more leniency in people's eyes for kind of like dossing about. The smoking weed at 11 in the morning and eating biscuits. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all that stuff. It's like those days kind of like abruptly come to an end, whether you're prepared for it or not. And then I think it was then it was like, okay, we need to, to get jobs. But we both like decided at that point that we really wanted to pursue a career in music and I think we always knew that we were going to have to do something on the side to sustain it and keep it going. And that's sort of just been navigating that ever since. And and the more the kind of pressures with music and the, the busier it gets, the more kind of challenging that tight rope becomes, I think. It's interesting when you say, you know, when you had that moment where you were like, you know, we're going to try and do a career in music or, yeah. you know, you find it within yourself, you're like, identify the facts that you want to try it that it was that quite a big moment for you was can you pinpoint that day I don't think so I think it was a gradual thing I think it was a lot of talks as well with like our family yeah it felt like I just remember having a lot of talks with mum and dad about it and like what it might look like and how we can 
support that ambition hmm. um, and they're, they've been like super understanding and they've always wanted us to pursue like what we want to do and I think when like from dad's kind of perspective like he he had a an ambition to be like a hairdresser when he was younger and it was discouraged by his parents so right. he always knew what it was like to not be able to kind of follow something that you you knew you wanted to at least try out and or, or have a good go at like mm-hmm. so I think he's really been like him and mum have been super supportive from like the beginning yeah um, I think I think as well it was definitely a gradual thing because I think we were we kind of struggled as well I think with the idea of it being like a maybe like a legitimate pursuit as well and I guess what I mean by that is like we whenever we would meet up with like friends who'd also graduated maybe in like a year a year or two after like I think we both kind of would have this weird thing where we'd come away after hanging out and sort of feel like maybe what we were doing wasn't quite as legitimate like when other people were kind of carving out very tangible careers and uh, on good salaries and things like that and it got to the point I think we were we were like okay we're going to become lawyers and we were like <laughs> it's just like it's like I think I, we, I was so kind of like caught up in the idea I think of like maybe like status and want and needing to like have something stable. Uh, I got mm-hmm. spooked and I was like, oh, maybe, maybe we, sh- we should be lawyers. And then we actually we sat the LSAT exam and got offered places at Glasgow uni to, to study law. And then it was like, no, actually we don't, don't think we want to do this. Like we were, and we were, I think it was, it was like our, our friend Derek who mixed our first album. Like we were speaking with him and he, he was like, Oh, don't do it guys like you sort of owe it to yourselves to like kind of try yeah. this and, and he was I think he told us a few horror stories of like people he knew and like what that life kind of entailed and like if that's what you want to do that's fine but like the more I kind of heard of the reality of it separated from the kind of glamour of just like maybe having a steady income and a respectable job like the more I heard about the reality it was like no no I want to do something exciting with my life and I don't care how little money I get from it. Like, let's just give this a good proper go. Good. I mean, it's funny. You can be as punk as you fucking like, but you know, that idea of something tangible or just that income of money, it's this, it's the kind of dream I think that everyone must have. Right. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. You want to like, kind of like, I hear a lot of people always say like, Oh, I like the kind of thrill of living paycheck to paycheck and, and like hand to mouth and I couldn't do a nine to five and stuff like that. And I, I really respect that outlook, but I don't think honestly it's, it's where I'm at in my core. Like I think I'm, I'm quite happy with the whole freelance existence as long as like it is an existence. Do you know what I mean? And you have like enough money to do A, B and C and like not extravagances, but just like, hopefully sustain yourself in a like life that's not like really really challenging financially all the time if that makes sense it definitely does make sense because I I think those places must exist in the world Mm -hmm. I grew up in I mean my parents are from London so there's Mm -hmm. always been that element of being like fucking work fucking do it look after it you know you kind of 
there's always that been an element of stress i think with our parents mm-hmm. what was that like being what i mean what is it like what's glasgow like for that because there's so much great art there there's so many great parties so many great imaginative minds so many brilliant bands yeah i mean i, I guess what does that mean in real life i guess it means you have people to learn from look up to and and see how they've done it yeah Definitely. I think the more we've gotten to know like people in our own kind of city within the arts and creative community, the more you do get to see examples of careers being played out and longevity in the arts. Like we were hanging out with Stuart uh, who runs our label and is the guitarist in Mogwai. And that's amazing. Coming out on rock action. That's ace, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's great. And I think like it's been really good for us as well because we've been able to see a band who have been around for so long purely because they've just grafted and worked and Mm. we were talking about this the other night and like we're just sort of saying to them like we're oh we're just like really determined to try and like make a career for ourselves in music and he said well that's really great like and no one's going to hand you on a plate but you just need to grind and and we were like well we're we're prepared to do that so if we can actually if it's just sort of simple as that we yeah. just get to work hard and hopefully things will happen then yeah yeah i think we're pretty optimistic at heart so if that is what happens like i'd be delighted yeah. <laughs> 101 part-time jobs 101 part-time jobs 101 part-time jobs 101 part-time jobs I often wonder, like, what is the sort of day-to-day of that? It's a lot of emails, it's a lot of logistical things, it's a lot of things going wrong at the very last minute. Yeah, I feel like I feel like this is like a common thing that's said, but there's so much admin. Like, <laughs> I think we're quite good at we're on it. Like, I think just with like having admin jobs as well, like you kind of get like quite naturally good at getting back to things quick and like scheduling things and but does like get in the way of like the fun stuff, like the sitting down, the working out of ideas, especially when you've got your phone just like pinging, like there's there's stuff coming in or there's yeah. things you have to answer. So yeah, and you want some time to think, right? I wonder if that's where a lot of magic comes from, is where you're able to walk. You can go walking for a few hours. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, like, we go on big walks. Yeah, like, big chats. Totally, and I think like even the other night we just sat down and watched an episode of TV and it felt really nice to just do something where your brain was able to kind of go like into a different zone as weird and corny as that sounds. But like when you're sort of wrapped up in it, like, I don't know, I think there's, there's been so many times where we'll be sitting down with our guitars and we'll be writing and then we'll get an email, maybe something we need to do admin wise or maybe something exciting like a gig offer comes in but like they need stuff from you da 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 and it's just like that's the writing done <laughs> Do you, yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> you know I had that thought today a lot of my job with doing this and you know I'm basically trying to become a radio presenter I've stopped pretend I've stopped pretending that I don't want to be and it's that you know it's a bit a bit of like humility being washed away being fuck it you know I, I, I didn't start as an amdram. I didn't do it at university or anything like that. And I thought today in my sort of quest to try and do that and having this podcast, which I love doing, basically I was thinking today, I reckon for me, one or two important emails happens a week. Two, yeah. if I'm lucky. I think it's probably one actual interesting email happens yeah. a week and the rest of it's nuts and bolts, which is, you know, I don't want to disregard or be reductive to that. But in terms of the really exciting shit, yeah. it's yeah. one email a week. Is that true for you? Yeah, I'd say so. Like, I think we may have had one one exciting one this week and that might be it. 
<laughs> but like, yeah, the nuts and bolts are so easy to get like, wrapped up in though. Like, you think, oh, this needs to be done like straight away. And I wonder if you've got those expectations of, okay, if, if one little nice little letter comes under our door this week, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's wicked. And if no letters come that week, that's fine. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, how do you keep expectations at a reasonable level that, you know, you, you stay positive, that you stay happy? I think it's it's kind of tough. I think that like we both maybe really honestly get a little bit antsy or even a little bit disappointed when the good stuff doesn't come in. And like, I think going back to saying that we're optimistic, I think that's really it. Like, I think I definitely, I can honestly say that I don't ever really get kind of depressed or down about um, about things like music career wise like i just have this kind of hope and ambition that things will turn out and i kind of think oh maybe one day i'll get jaded and i'll not want to do this and i kind of hope that day doesn't come and it doesn't feel like it will so when things do come in it's brilliant it's great when they don't for maybe a prolonged period it's a little bit i think that kind of that's when we sort of we start putting our heads together and like okay what can we do here to try and like get a bit of a buzz going on our socials or like or or write a new song or you know like that sort of thing that social stuff is a bit it seems like a bit of a trick you know if you can make yourself yeah laugh maybe sometimes other times think like oh that's a really nice graphic i don't know that sounds really silly when i say that's that's our bread and butter i think like we're i mean we're kind of deep in socials land at the moment like trying to create stuff for our album which comes out like next week so we were up till like midnight last night making a reel of like a little van, like getting dragged along by a piece of thread, like yeah. trying like, and I love that stuff as well. Like we've kind of, well, Rachel, you've sort of been into kind of stop motion animation forever. Yeah. So. yeah. We always try and like incorporate an element of stop motion every now and then, like, mm-hmm. um, but last night I drew the line under doing stop motion for this one. It would have literally taken about five hours. You can, you can see it on our Instagram. We just put up and um, it's proper DIY. And I quite like that. Nice. Yeah. Our socials are a mixture of like press photos are a bit more flashy. And then you've got literally uh, like a plastic car getting pulled along. I wonder if it's all flashy, then you kind of set yourself up for a bit of a fall. Because yeah. say if you don't have a photographer along for, Yep. you know a certain time period mm-hmm. yeah i feel like like when we get when we do press photos i kind of covet them it's like i don't, don't want to use them all at once so it's good to kind of like pepper like different things yeah my fear is using the same press photo over and over and over i mean that's a very smart fear to have right because there's plenty of people out there that would just happily do that but and if we're scrolling we're basically like accessing new bands or accessing artists on the scroll aren't we yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how you find out about them uh-huh. I think as well, like when we started off doing social media, I really wanted things to be like really sincere and and maybe seem a bit edgy and cool, like because bands that are really into kind of had that approach. Mm. And then very quickly that got quite tiring and thought, well, this is completely unsustainable. Like we got to inject this with like a little bit of actually who we are and what we like doing here. So I think like over the last like how many years we've been doing this, things have kind of morphed into quite a comfortable place where the kind of stuff we're posting and the little things we're doing are kind of creative they're just things that we kind of find funny and interesting or maybe we'll take inspiration from something we've seen another like band or filmmaker or artist do and try and sort of squeeze that through the cloth lens a wee bit yeah I wonder if the more you give away or actually the deeper you go the more you get 
back. You know, mm. the more you can, the more you can have that conversation with folk. Yeah, Definitely. I think I've noticed that. Like, yeah, the the deeper you go, sometimes the yeah, the more engagement you get in comments and things like that, and messages as well. And I think yeah, I think it's appreciated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People identify with it more. I think if they know that it's coming from a an actual place of sincerity, not just a trying to nice, trying to put on a veneer of coolness. Were you in bands before? We were. We were in like we actually in one band together before. We were in bands in high school, like the kind of rock night stuff. But we actually had a kind of more poppy band maybe when we were uh, at uni. Yeah. It, was, it was quite fun. Like we we did the Glasgow circuit uh, and branched out to Scott some more kind of like Scottish venues. But yeah, it was it was kind of short lived. But it was mm. good to get like good to get comfortable on stage. It was good for that. Yeah. Did you do much touring? Did you do sort of much like really putting yourself out, you know, trying to send it? No. I wouldn't say so, no. It was more like um, just local supports and occasional like festivals and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was was pretty much day and night, I think, in terms of like what a lot of the stuff we've experienced with Cloth and done and been lucky enough to do is like stuff we would probably never even have considered with the old band and when we actually went to university i think that was kind of the death knell for that because we were like we need to knuckle down get our degrees and then that was after that we were like okay we're doing we're doing it properly and we're going to do something different musically and, and we spent a long time working out what it was we wanted to do like writing re- rehearsing didn't play a show for you know, like a year and a half yeah. or something like that yeah um, recorded before we ever played a show I guess, you know, if we're looking at the longevity of bands, it seems like if you can survive after like a few years and as an adult, I think I wonder if like one of the biggest battles is like having an immature brain is what I'm thinking of now. You know what I mean? And like being a bit smart about it seems to be the way to go. Yeah, yeah. I think we, maybe it was good actually being in the band that we were in in uni. That kind of got all our immaturity out of the way, Mm -hmm. or most of it, like. And I think it's taught us that you need to get on and to kind of make things happen. There's a bit more kind of seriousness required and mm-hmm. commitment and mm-hmm. kind of just across the board. Like we, I'm trying to think of examples, like we don't drink after shows. We we don't, we're yeah. not really into kind of like, or I mean, maybe it's just like because of the necessity that we have to drive everywhere afterwards, we're not mm-hmm. doing it. But I, I couldn't even really see myself like, partying after gigs and stuff like that and yeah um, i think i think booze and drugs has got to be huge i mean that's the classic story isn't it that's why bands break up yeah yeah yeah. i know that if we we were getting on it all the time like it would nothing would happen you know like i i still do not understand how all these famous bands supposedly made like masterworks well like yeah absolutely off their faces and I don't know. Maybe I think there's even maybe an element of distrust there of like how, like what was actually going on there because like how how can you make art when you're just not with it? I know those stories of exile on Main Street, and you're yeah. like they're in like France and they're inviting all their friends and drug dealers and partners over there. Uh-huh. It's like uh, you get a hint of you know mm-hmm. don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, totally. And like even I mean, this probably sounds like a little bit like weird or mean but i don't even really like the presence of other people in the studio when we're like recording like the idea of having friends in the studio when we're trying to work would be like 
really anxiety and just and I think like I think that it would disrupt my focus a wee bit it would just need to be me Rachel and like our producer or engineer or whatever so and speaking of which you did this record with Ali Chance yeah, yeah. which is I mean his work is absolutely amazing with Yard mm. Axe and Katie J Pearson and all those sort of slew of Bristol artists yeah, yeah totally yeah how much do you know about Ali Champ before going down there how much did you sort of read up read about him and or met him I think um it was really the first album we'd heard was Squirrel Flower and it was one that you'd cottoned on to Rich yeah and you were like oh listen to this Paul and it was like Heart of Fly was the song and I remember thinking wow the production on this is amazing it sounds massive there's like a big stinky guitar solo one bit yeah. that sort of sounds like it shouldn't go but actually really really does which was actually played by Ali we found out yeah um so and then Yard Act obviously went really big and everybody was listening to them and and a similar kind of thought about or like there's a, a kind of bold thing going on here where the music sounds quite adventurous and like just sonically as well things sounded like really crispy and fat and all the good things you want your music to sound like but with that kind of originality across his kind of output like yeah didn't know he did the Perfume Genius record that I loved, the Too Bright one, until later. And I was like, well, I've loved that album for, for years. And then, like, if he's the one who did it, like, this is a kind of serendipity here, like, loads of albums that I'm kind of <laughs> conning on to the way they sound. Like, there's a common denominator here. So. so did you find out, did you learn any tricks from him? Because, for example, if you're, like, if you're listening to that Perfume Genius record or that kind mm. of grandiose but sort of tangible nature of the overload yard axe record yeah. did you come away with learning any tips of how to do that yourself i mean is it even that kind of wizardry that you can tangible wizardry or is it a lot of you know what he's using and how he's doing it in his own way i think it's both yeah we definitely came away with like ideas and things that we'd never considered before mm-hmm. there was like one song we started, we weren't kind of sure where we wanted to go with the drums on this song. And they, Ali was like, right, well, I think what we start with is 16th note hi-hat pattern, and then we'll put it through a phase pedal. And I was like, and then he did it. And it was like, oh, my God, this sounds amazing. And I was like, is this a thing? And he was like, yeah, it's a thing. And it's like, right. and then he was like, okay, and then we're going to put them through this like RMX reverb and, get, and make them sound like really Kate Bushy. And I was like, ah, oh, so that's how they got that sound. Yeah. And then, other things like like just the way he kind of layered percussion and he would pitch things up and then and I'd think, oh, I don't know about that. But then he'd sync them really low in the mix and they would suddenly things would just sound a lot like more full. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think a lot as well is just to do with his kind of the caliber of him as an engineer as well and just his experience. And I mean, there's stuff he, he can do that I know I'll never be able to do like from a mix point of view. And I'm not even sure if I... Uh, have the interest to kind of pursue that like yeah. abilities of that level but yeah I think we learned a lot yeah I had a moment years ago when I realized oh, on this re- I forget which record it was but it was the like a line of the it was a pretty standout line whether mm-hmm. it was in the verse or chorus or wherever but there was a kind of echo really low in the mix mm. in the bar before that the main the top line Right. And I thought, oh, that's genius because mm-hmm. that's sort of working with your brain yeah. Yeah. on a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I mean, Cocteau Twins, 
you know, having that in your periphery, I think that's going to be maybe a touching stone for people when they're describing cloth. Being Cocteau twins, having the story, having the geographical sort of closeness to you is, are they a band that you, that you think much about or you have thought about in terms of production, but also how they've, you know, they're sort of DIY, sending a tape down to London, getting the Megabus down, that yeah. whole story. Yeah. Is that a band that's in your orbit? Oh yeah, like absolutely. The Cocktail Twins, I think, I'm trying to actually, I can pinpoint the first time I heard them. I was like finishing a shift at Tesco and I'd got back and I was, uh, I drove back home and uh, something came on BBC Radio Scotland and I just kind of sat in the driveway listening to it until it ended. It was really late. It was a late shift. And uh, at the end, they said that's ice, ice, like luck. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I need to let Paul know. Uh, <laughs> I think I texted you, but like mm-hmm. you wouldn't have got it until the morning. And I was like, you need to hear this song. It's so good. And then from that point, we just really delved into their music. I think our mum and parents were like, oh, yeah, of course, like the Cocktail Twins. But like, I think they've been like hugely influential in terms of how we think about melodies and I guess they're like to me they're amazing at like these kind of melodies that go on journeys and like uh, interweave with the the music and Mm. it was just so great to like to hear that and be I guess it opened up like kind of the possibilities of like more unconventional melodies and and things like that in my mind Um, yeah they're such they're such an amazing band and um it's one we just keep coming back to Mm -hmm. and they're so liberating to listen to aren't they yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it surprises me how just how never old it gets. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It always sounds like very fresh to me, and I always find it exciting when I'm looking for music to kind of get me kind of fired up about going to write or going into record. Mm-hmm. Like it will be a, a band like Cocktail Twins that I'll put on, yeah, because you can tell that there's that like just attention to detail and everything they did i mean i wonder if it's kind of been cool to not care you know in kind of alternative music and especially you know from a social point of view you know i guess there's always that thing that sort of comes from punk rock it's like or some punk rock bands i guess is that like it's cool not to care but i think it's really cool to care yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah those are the kind of stories that I am interested yeah. in. I want to know how people made things and like yeah. what drove them. Or and persevered to achieve something. Yeah, or like what kit they were using and where they kind of got their ideas. And mm-hmm. like, I want to nerd out over nerds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it makes you think that like music journalism has played such a big part in all of our lives. Cause that's where you'd read about that shit in mm. NME or Kerrang or, you yeah. know, sounds or whatever you're reading at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think Kerrang was probably like maybe our first kind of definitely for me, the first music magazine I kind of got into in a big way. Cause we definitely had like a kind of metal hard rock phase when we were younger. Yeah. And yeah, like I liked kind of reading interviews with bands that, like we're maybe operating in a totally different continent and like what the sort of scene was like in their city. And, and yeah, I think like, I don't know if there's many bands that like I've kind of ever fallen hard for that present an image of like, Oh yeah, we don't care. Like obviously like, yeah, you're right. with the punk rock thing and like the pistols and, and the clash and all that. But like, for me, like, I guess the epitome of punk rock for me is the clash and like, I think their music exudes a kind of care and attention. Like 
maybe even if they don't like kind of publicly espouse it i don't know i've i've not really read too many books about the history of the band but like an album a big sprawling album like london calling like there's so many fascinating little touches on there and there's like there is i've seen a documentary about how they made it and like some of the novel techniques they did i think they had somebody up a ladder at some point like doing something mental and recorded that and it's like yeah that's the stuff i'm interested in like the yeah the people that are kind of pushing like you know against themselves to make something new and exciting you're a fan of putting the microphone in the hallway to get some natural reverb. Yeah, yeah. we did that. All that stuff. Yeah. I love that. I'm a big fan <laughs> of that as well. Yeah. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Paul and Rachel, thanks so much for being up for this. I'm really looking forward to the album. I mean, hey, you must be looking forward to the album, Secret Measure, out next week. This won't come out for a few weeks, but yeah. you know, what do you what can you do in the in the week before a record? Just keep at it, keep working. Yeah, I feel like our next week is social media. We've got a gig actually at the end of this week. So it's just nice. practice and getting prepared for like release day and stuff like that. It's all exciting. Do you feel like a touring band? Do you feel like a band that will be on the road, that wants to be on the road a lot? I want to be on the road, yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like because this tour that we're about to embark on is only our second tour, I don't feel like like a proper like road dog or anything, but it is something we both want to do and want to be like doing. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Kind of what want to be out there as much as possible. Like we do it. Like we keep saying to ourselves, like we just want it piled on. We just want to be busy. You know, yeah. like and comfortably busy. Yeah, comfortably busy. Yeah, that's it. Ace. Well, I tend to end these episodes asking for a a work gaff or a work fail <laughs> story okay. or anecdotes that come to mind. I mean, there's one that's like kind of screaming in my head at the moment like that i mean I'll, yeah i'll tell you this so i used to work in a cafe in glasgow and this was not my fault and i wasn't even there when it happened i think i luckily was was off shift but we were a really kind of sort of tight-knit team in this cafe and i'm still like really good pals with the people i worked with there but i remember getting these messages that day being like the basement's been flooded with human shit. Wow. <laughs> I was like, okay, right, well. And then it turns out, like, there'd been some malfunction. The basement was where we kept all the stock. Like, it was like a kind of larder pantry, I guess. Like, oh, and no. So straight away I was like, oh, my God, that sounds horrendous. Then the next thing was, like, the boss was, like, offering everyone 20 quid to go and clean it all up and sort of, understandably everybody refused and then one of his like mates just turned up and was like i heard you've got a situation and then just sort of winked and then grabbed him up and went downstairs and like 
I remember the first time I went into the basement after that thinking, oh my God, this is so gross. I don't even know what I'm touching here. Like, And I just felt like if this ever got out, like in a sort of like public health way, yeah. like this place would get shut the fuck down. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that was a pretty bad one. We still talk about that a lot. <laughs> Fucking hell. No shit. <laughs> How about you, Rachel? Does anything spring to mind? Any embarrassing moments? Yeah, I feel like an embarrassing one was when I worked in a cafe. I think it was my first job just finishing high school, about to start uni, and it was bridging the like the summer gap before uni started. And I was just like a waiter, waitress in a small restaurant in our hometown. And I didn't love it. And I think it was a Sunday shift. And I think I just thought, I have more important things to be doing. So I phoned in sick and said I think I told my boss that just I have a dental appointment and I was like I went into some kind of detail as you do when you're lying um there's too much detail (laughs) and then I think he like he didn't say anything at the time but when I went in the following week he was like so how was your dental appointment and he just had this really quizzical look on his face and I was like oh yeah blah 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 and he was like Sunday yeah and I was like uh, and I was just like, oh, my God, Sunday, dentist, dentist went open on the Sunday. Like, well, um, I don't know. I don't think I just blabbed for, like, a good minute. About, it was an emergency appointment. I've got a family friend who's a dentist. It wasn't really in, a, like, a dental practice. It was, it was, it was bad. Busted. <laughs> Those are good ones. Those are good ones. You know, because that's the thing. I, being at work is so similar to being at school. In the way that if you get told off, your your eyes start to go a bit damp (laughs) and you think, oh, not me, not me. (laughs) And it's it's like no other feeling, I don't think. No, no. I feel like a little child again. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Hey, Paul and Rachel, thank you so much. This has been thank loads of fun. I, you know, from what I've heard of the record, it's I love. Oh, so yeah. I can't wait to hear the full thing. Thank Thanks, you so Charles. much. Cheers. Cheers Brilliant. And catch you on tour then. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So there was Rachel and Paul from Cloth. Their new record, Secret Measure, is out now. It's lovely of them to chat with me a few weeks before the record's release. Cheers to Liam Clayton for editing. Thanks to Jason Cavalier for producing the songs that you've heard under this, which is Rach Waitress in the Sky by The Replacements, by the way. And that first one, cover of Blister in the Sun by Violent Femmes, which I've changed the lyric to about struggling to find a job. More of those to come, I think. Jason's up for it. So cheers, mate. I think we're going to have some fun with that. If there's a song that you think we should cover and replace it with struggling to find work lyrics, do let me know. Giles at MightyMoonMedia.com. Thank you so much for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. If you'd like to leave a review or rate it on Apple or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, please do. It helps me reach that cream that I'm striving for, baby. Helps get that cream of that Zane Lowe, that John Kennedy land. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? All right, here's Cox Barra, back with another episode later this week with Sydney's body type. And if you're at the Great Escape in Brighton, also, I realised in that interview that cleaning up turd is becoming a bit of a uh, is becoming a bit of a theme on this show. I'm not sad about it. All right, see you later. Here's Cox Barra.
Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz, and I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.